All right, it's the Chance of Gaming podcast. It's episode 65. It's the, um, I'm Adam, and this is the Richard Memorial um, episode. The and rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. What what happened? That is Richard, that is Richard there. I heard that like it was, it's not robot Richard. It's well actually I am like one percent cyborg now. Yeah. So. <laughs> I had heard that like he he faked his own death in order to get out of doing history on the table. That's all I know. No, I think that our show was the last episode was so bad that it literally gave me a heart attack. <laughs> That was the final nail in, in the coffin. Yeah. You're like, oh. I don't even remember what we talked about, but I'll just go with that. Yeah, literally, like or, the or day after was, we recorded the last podcast. <laughs> it was so awesome that, like, but I have nothing else to contribute, so I'm just. That's what it was. Out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And we it was is the it was our magnum opus, the completion yep. of my life's work. <laughs> I think I, I think I talked about uh, settlers of Catan, so um, I was happy and didn't need to talk about anything else <laughs> so for those not in the know tell us what happened yeah so i was just doing a, i was doing a pool workout um you know it's off season for me i'm a triathlete and um it wasn't even a hard workout. i was like 750 yards or something just it was my first bang this is my second time in the pool this year yeah I, I took a few weeks off for the holidays got out of the pool felt fine literally i mean everybody's like did you feel anything at all nope felt nothing at all i was sitting there on the bench next to the pool just kind of drying off watching my daughters in the next lane practice their their flip turns and that's the last thing i remember i mean um, my heart stopped i had an electrical issue in my heart and it just stopped beating the lifeguards amazing lifeguards i've been up to thank them and bought them dinner and the city's going to recognize them soon but um yeah they they gave me cpr they shocked me back um, got in an ambulance, went to the hospital, but even like the next four hours or so, I have no memory of it all. I don't remember wow. anything until I got to the cardiac ICU. So, um, I now have a nice little electrical box implanted in my side, a defibrillator. So if that ever happens again, I've got a lifeguard in my chest ready to shock me. So. Wow. That's, that's epic. I, um, you know, I, I got the text from your wife on your phone the next morning. Actually, I got it the night before, but I ignored it. And then uh, the morning I saw it, I just because I was, was like, I don't care about him. <laughs> and so I looked at it the next morning, and I just, oh, I just, I, I buckled over that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you back, man. Yeah, me too. It was, it was, it was very close. If it, if it had happened on a bike ride or on a run. I would have just literally been found by the next person that wandered by. So, yeah. but it happened 20 feet away, 20 feet away from an amazing lifeguard, and here I am. Okay. So, no triathlons for me this year because I can't swim for a while. Oh. Um, but we'll see. I I I got on my my bike today down in the basement. Just ran it. Right. You know, I've got a bike trainer, so I've got. Mm-hmm. I rode for a little bit today. Felt good. I've been sleepier than normal. Like I've been resting more and everything. My body's still recovering. My mm-hmm. ribs are still a little sore where they cracked them from the CPR, but wow. I feel pretty good overall. Okay. So you know, I looked it up about. Uh, I was curious about the the survival rates with uh, the CPR on hand. Yeah. And I thought it was really low, but it's really it's 45 percent. That's good. Which is still not great. Yeah. But 45 percent of of uh, people that have CPR started right when the event happens survive. Yeah. So. And I think that's the key. I mean, like if I had still been in the water, I probably wouldn't have made it because it's going to take them two or three minutes for to get me out of the water. Yeah. But, yeah. 
everything lined up and it was good. Wow. All right. So uh, what I get out of this is don't exercise. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I got. Pretty much everyone I've told about this has said that. I told yeah. you, man, the gym will kill you. <laughs> it's like, huh, okay, I'm just going to be over here eating red meat and now, yeah, so now uh, not exercise. All right. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, you may have heard uh, two-thirds of us on the History on the Table 20, uh, 2020, end of 2020 episode. Yeah, special guest star. Yep. Adam yeah. Adam Chance with the, the recording. Uh, I, I found it interesting that he got all the way to the point where he was like, okay, guys, we're kind of done talking about, like, games now. So <laughs> if you want to bail, right, this would be a good place. And here's Adam. <laughs> I was like, huh, okay, all right, I, I see what's going on here. I got you. Mm, all right. So, uh, anyway, um, I, uh, um, yes, Roy, tell me about your favorite YouTube video. Okay, so this is not at all related to gaming. It's related to skateboarding, which I also can't skateboard, much as which I can't win at games. Uh, so there's a YouTube video called, um, it's uh, called Pintail Longboards is the kind of the title of it. And it's put out by a company called Original that makes Pintail Longboards. And it's a very lovely video of a bunch of people just skating in the summertime on on these particular skateboards, and I quite li- like it. It's um, when I'm feeling down in the dumps on a winter winter night, um, I'll put that on and feel a little bit better, and you know, get reminded that uh, summer will be here eventually. Yeah, I used to skateboard a lot when I was a kid, and every every maybe five years or so, I'll get a bug in the back of my head saying you should do that again, and Thankfully, that bug has not grabbed hold yet because I definitely don't need that in my life right now. It'd be broken in half. Yeah. Well, just do like I've got a long board and, you know, just do you're just getting around. Don't get on ramps. Don't do tricks. You know, none of that. <laughs> it's just get around. That's that's it. Just, yeah. Leave all that stuff to the kids. Because I remember um, I bought a kayak from a guy like, I don't know, eight or ten years ago. And when he delivered it, he was like, you want to know why I'm selling this? And I was like, um, I guess now I do. And <laughs> he, uh, he was like, my kid had a uh, birthday party at a skate park. And I was like, huh, well, I used to skate. Let me get on here and show him some stuff. And he was like, and then I shattered my elbow. So... Yeah, he was like, "Don't." So he can't kayak anymore. Yeah, can't. He okay. said it hurts too bad, and so yeah. And I'm like, "Ah, okay, I got you." And I'm like, "When I was a kid, man, I really wanted to do, to do all that, to do all the cool tricks and stuff like that." But as I can tell from various sports and and whatnot, I do not have a good uh, sense of balance, a good center of gravity, whatever it is. I don't have it, and I really think you you have to be able to do that. Like, I can ride a bike, I can roller skate, but, yeah, to be able to do, like, a trick, you know, especially, like, go up the ramp and, you know, flip around, there's no way. Mm-hmm. Could not do Did it. Did you ever have a, uh, a a Wii, a Nintendo Wii? Yeah. Did you do the, the balance games and the sports games on there? Uh, no, I have never done the balance games. Okay. My kids used to love those. They were so good at them, and I was so terrible at them. <laughs> 
And the and the Wii is it's very judgmental too. Like you'll try to balance on the board and you can't do it and it'd be like, Hey, you're you know, you may be forty seven, but your your balance age is ninety five. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I grew up three miles from any any uh, paved surfaces, so I had to <laughs> I didn't never had an opportunity to learn how to skateboard. Ah oh, man, it was such a big thing. Such a big thing in the eighties. Not and I mean I just remember us just like watching it on T V and we'd all have like the magazines and stuff. Every now and then, um, I'd encounter somebody that had like a hat, like a quarter pipe, you know, you mm-hmm. know, one of those, and that was about it. And usually, they ended up injured, or their friends ended up injured, or their little brother ended up injured, you know, on these things. I know I did something stupid with a bike on a friend of mine's and dumped it and gashed my arm open and everything. So yeah. I don't know. Kids, yeah, are, we ne- kids are stupid. We never had an actual quarter pipe, but there was a few times we went to like the uh, you know the rain drainage ditch, and if it was dry, we'd skate in there a little bit. <laughs> oh, and uh, a friend of mine uh, lived that 1980s movie dream of they drained his pool. And oh, so, yeah. And so he went out there and severely injured himself in it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> There's actually it. a nice skate park just like three or four blocks from my house right now, but... Like I said, I'm. I, I don't need that in my life. Don't do. It. Don't do it, Richard. Don't do You're it. You're not going to get out there and do some carving. No, definitely not. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Roy, what have you been playing? What have I been playing? So, I've been playing more D and D at we're at 18th level now. Um, you started the, at 16, right? Right. Yep. So every wow. we're going through a trilogy of uh, going after some liches. So every after every lich gets gets defeated, lich, we go up a level. Yes, it's what is it called? Uh, the module is called Pretty Little Liches. <laughs> um, so we got all the way through that, and uh, we failed on the final lich. And uh, the uh, it was a it was an oni an oni mage lich that uh, conjured well unknowingly with our help. <laughs> um, conjured a uh, an avatar of a god, and uh, it totally kicked her ass. Like I don't think it was a the whole session was one fight, and I think I got one action because I was kind of enraptured by the the fear and the sorrow of being within the aura of this uh, avatar of a god. Um, so the 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 end result of that was the bad guy broke the staff of the magi, uh, and. Um, and he he uh, he noped out of the of the uh, adventure or uh, of the encounter. So who the hell knows where he is? Um, so we kind of moved on from that, and we're gonna kind of maybe eventually deal with the aftermath after effects of that. Um, and uh, we're moving on to uh, fighting some drow. So the old standard, you fight some drow. Silly, so that's uh, silly spider elves. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we've, been, what we've been doing in Roll Twenty D and D, and we're um, uh, starting to gear up to start playing in the Midgard setting. Uh, and I've been looking a little bit closer at the at the Bear Folk, and the uh, the Bear Folk kind of their main things that they are. You into. mean at, like as a playable race? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, they tend to tend towards fighters, rangers, and druids. So I might end up having a bear folk druid 
because apparently the the bear folk are very kind of introspective. Um, it's like you're playing World of Warcraft. I guess is that a I don't know. Hit me with it. What's uh in World what? of Warcraft druids can they they sort of specialize in a couple different things, but one of them yeah they can turn into a bear. So okay. Oh, like the wild shape. Yeah. In, yeah. In, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So I don't know. It's and I've been kind of kicking around the idea of also playing a female bear folk. I don't know. It's one time I think I played a female. I think it might be interesting to do that. Give it a try. So, um, but that's uh, that's in the future. Uh, so then I've been playing Kingdom Builder, which is a it's uh, this is on Board Game Arena, and it's uh, what is it? Okay, what's the name of the guy's name? Donald X. Baccarino is the same designer as uh, Dominion. Has this game okay. called Kingdom Builder, where it's uh, the map is uh, random every turn or every every game, and the victory conditions are random every game. And the idea is you're placing settlements on the board that kind of uh, based on the victory conditions. So like for the merchants, the merchant victory condition says you get points for every every settlement or every location that you connect. So if you connect a stable to a castle, that's a set amount of points. And then there's, uh, I'm just kind of making stuff up here, like the Explorers says that for every horizontal line that you have a settlement on, you get a victory point. So the, the victory conditions are random every turn, and the things that you can do on the board are random every turn, as far as like, okay, I can move a settlement from here to here, or the stable says that I can um, pick up a settlement and jump at two spots because it's like a horse. Uh, so that's Kingdom Builder. That's available available on Board Game Arena. Um, and then, so this is uh, kind of gaming adjacent. My son for uh, Christmas got me an airbrush. So I'm I'm in the very early stages of learning how to airbrush stuff uh, mm. for my Star Wars <laughs> stuff. Yeah, so I've always wondered about that actually because when I, I I've seen people like I've seen airbrushed products, but I guess I've never actually. I think of an airbrush as something that you would use on something bigger, like for Star Wars Legion, maybe for like a tank or even like the airspeeder or something like that. But especially like the big Warhammer stuff, like mm-hmm. the the smaller figures. I guess I don't understand how an airbrush would be helpful for those. Well, I, you know, I'm kind Maybe of getting my head around it. Would know so. too. Oh, we're talking about <laughs> so airbrushes. So we just wondering, yeah, no, no, like no, airbrush on but... on smaller oh. figures, how would how would that even work? It seems oh. like it wouldn't. You know, you would need brush strokes, but maybe use both. I honestly don't know. Oh, okay. I okay. just uh, Roy. I'm sorry, Roy said maybe Adam would know, but you stepped on his line, and so I, I missed. <laughs> I missed. I was paying attention. I just missed oh. my call there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, and I've fiddled around with it just a very little bit. Um, so I need to have a big model that I can, you know, like do an airbrush thing on. Yeah. Seems um, like it would be really good for priming. Like I, yes. I, I think uh, a lot of people do I, that. I primed up two, two units of Death Troopers and, and Krennic this morning, actually, and I was just thinking this would be perfect for an airbrush. But mm. hmm. Like I loaded it up with some paint and, you know, painted my name and. But that's kind of about all I've done with it so far. Uh, the biggest thing I I can tell you that people talk about with it is beware of it clogging. I don't know what you have to do, the way you have to clean it or whatever after every time you use, 
but if if it clogs, it's like really bad. Not only does it make a mess, it's very difficult to get it back into fighting shape. Oh, all right. I just, the, the directions were kind of it said clean after every use. Yes, yes, yeah. And, um, so like I just ran a that's a container just a of water all the way through. Right. <laughs> yeah. They don't really mean that. No, no, no. no. You know, Roy, so those are the same people that tell you you have to brush your teeth every day. <laughs> You know, Roy, if if you can't if you can't get the uh, the figure painting done really well, you can always open up your own like T-shirt booth out by Lake Michigan and <laughs> and make some. Fun. Is that like yeah. still a thing? I I wonder. See, I know airbrushing always from as a kid, like traveling to Florida or whatever. There was always these T-shirt shops where mm-hmm. they would airbrush your name or you know, a teddy bear, whatever, or something really inappropriate on a t-shirt for you for, (laughs) in exchange for money. And so, I mean, airbrushing has been around for a million years. I mean, in the seventies, they were doing the wizards on the side of vans and shit, you know? So Mm -hmm. I wonder why it took kind of this long for it to come around to tabletop gaming. I don't know. Did did the tech have to get small or uh, I don't know. You know, and I remember those uh, looking on with envy the testers airbrush kits. So, like, you go to the hardware store or whatever, yeah. and they'd have it was a little can of air, which I I gotta imagine that that air lasted maybe you know like three seconds long or something. <laughs> um, so like I have my compressor, my you know my that I use for doing trim work on my house and stuff with the temp the pressure dial way down. Um. And that works all right. Although, like, I didn't even get through a cup of paint before the uh, the compressor started up again. So I know there's you know there's little desktop compressors too. But, um, I don't know. I just I I can't imagine uh, having to like go through a full airbrush session with that compressor going off every you know three minutes or whatever. <laughs> just sorry, honey. I've got to I've got to change this out. Right. Which, you know, so when I moved the compressor downstairs, I told my wife, I said, I have this down there. She said, make sure you turn it off so it doesn't go off at 3 a.m. Because it's got a little pressure switch on it. Um, So anyway, I'm I'm learning airbrushing, which is is modeling or, you know, gaming adjacent, I suppose. Um, And then I've been playing a game on uh, Board Game Arena called Letter Tycoon, which is a... As you can guess, it's probably a letter-making uh, game where you have a hand of it's probably seven cards, and then there's three or four common cards that you can pull from too, and you're making big letters. So, like if you make the word hygienist, then um, you get uh, so many dollars, and then you can use those dollars to turn it and buy a patent. So, like if, for the word hygienist, if I buy the H. The H is worth so many points, and then when anybody else on the table uses the word H, I get paid for that. Um, so that's uh, Letter Tycoon. And or, the, or capitalism run amok. It's like, oh, you can't even use that letter without having to pay pay Roy royalty. <laughs> this is the way yeah. it is in our post-capitalistic society, man. I can't even use the word <laughs> B anymore. I can't even say it. Oppose the man. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, Letter Tycoon. And then uh, I'm in, currently in the middle of a game of Teotihuacan, 
City of Gods. This is a game that I talked about many years ago that I, well, many. I, I demoed it at uh, uh, Dice Tower Con, would have been three years ago, and played it there. And the, uh, the facil- facilitator for the game was one of the designers. And so, like, he had in mind, like, this is all the things that need to happen. So he um, really made the playing of the game a lot simpler. And so then when I got a copy of the game, we, we played it once, and I'm like, man, this is complicated. Because if you do this, you have to remember that when you do this, you get um, benefits for here and here and here. And don't forget that you get to advance in a temple over here. Uh, but Teotihuacan City of Gods is available on Board Game Arena, so all that stuff is programmed. I didn't think you were that big a fan of it, or is it that you didn't like the fiddliness of it and it's easier to play online? It's very fiddly, yes. It's, it is easier to play online, um, but still pretty fiddly. I'm, um, yeah. I can't really tell you that this is precisely what I'm – that I know what I'm doing. So like I, I guess like every game I play, I just kind of randomly – pick the things that seem good. And I find that the more that I know about a game, the worse I do at it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how that works, but... Beginner's luck. I guess. So, yeah, I'm in the middle of a game of Teotihuacan right now. Uh, And then we played uh, Race for the Galaxy, which is a card game. Um, So it's kind of in the same vein as Puerto Rico or uh, San Juan, actually more in the, in the vein of San Juan. Uh, so where you have a hand of cards and you're building this space empire. You can do developments, you can settle planets, um, and you're trying to kind of make your empire bigger. And then maybe if you want to go a military route, you want to build up your red planets, which give you military power. Or if you want to go a shipping route, you want to get um, planets that produce resources that you can then sell and churn out victory points uh, in another way. Um, so that's Race for the Galaxy. And then I've been playing it today, actually. I played a game called A Fistful of Penguins, <laughs> which is a dice game uh, where you roll the dice and you collect points uh, in the form of, of uh, money chips based on what you roll. So if you want to uh, re-roll a die, you have to spend a penguin. Um, so it's, uh, it's a cute little game. It plays over three rounds. It's, I suppose it would fall into the, uh, the, the cafe game, uh, kind of genre. I remember playing this game on a picnic table, uh, in Florida as we were driving down to Disney World once. Um, we stopped at a rest area and I remember playing this game. No, I want to imagine you were playing it like on the dash. As, as you're driving, <laughs> drifting in and out of lanes. Yeah, just uh, 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 no no account to anybody around me. Your dice ends up in the, uh, the little air conditioner vent, you know. And, oh, yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And so then I played a game called Ice Cool, which um, I demoed at Board Game Arena, or at, uh, sorry, at Dice Tower Con. And then uh, Adam thoughtfully sent me a copy of this game. Uh, so it's a it's a dexterity game of flicking high school penguins around a um, board. The so the the penguins are a little weighted. There's like a metal ball in there or something, and if you, you flick them around the the board and you're collecting 
fish as you go through a doorway you can take the fish that's that's your color that's attached to it um it's so like, yeah okay the, yeah i suppose although there's no kind of set um path that you have to take oh, okay wait did you say high school penguins yes. <laughs> high school penguins mm. this is where they have acne and they're all surly and stuff and yeah <laughs> so the, uh the other day my wife said I just realized that we have like a whole host of games where that are penguin themed. So a fistful of penguins, ice cool, uh, pingo pingo, uh, and, which is another game that Adam thoughtfully sent me. Uh, and then um, what's it? Oh, card jitsu, which is a club penguin themed game. It's kind of like war. So we have a whole host of penguin themed games, which I was surprised about. Hmm. That's because Adam thinks that Michigan is where penguins live. Yes, <laughs> I've heard they have them up there. That's like you—you you talked about like um, you know watching the video like in the depths of like winter. I'm like I do the same thing in Mississippi, but I watch stuff in the depths of summer, going, "Oh my God, when will winter get here?" You know. No. But the like the biggest thing is like I have a motorcycle and it's the biggest difference between like me and like the reddit motorcycle community is i you know winter is riding season for me you know and so everybody else is like put up their bikes and they're posting all these pictures about oh if summer could only get here i can't wait to ride again and i'm like i can't wait until like you know april or whatever and uh, to be able to post, okay, putting it up for for the, uh, the the evil summer season, you know, can't can't wait till December so I can break it back out. Because yes, you just need to uh, uh, put the 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 assless chaps on and the speedo and away you go. <laughs> but then I end up with skin grafts on my butt and that would be bad. So yeah, you gotta yeah you gotta be safe, kids. And that's the thing is like around here you'll see people riding in like a pair of shorts and flip flops and, and a helmet and that's it. They're only wearing a helmet because that's the law. And whereas for me, you know, I'm completely like suited up and stuff because I don't want to. I want a chance of surviving, you mm -hmm. know. And so there you go. Anyway. So the last game I have here is a game called Canvas that my wife got on a Kickstarter, uh, and it is a a game where you're um, you're making pictures, and the the pictures kind of end up being kind of uh, surrealist in a way. So you have a kind of a blank canvas, and then you have to add three other cards, and the cards are clear. So um, one card, like one of them says uh, tortured, and it has. I'm, I'm not sure about this. It has like a barbed wire on it. And so the so you have the picture, but then at the bottom you have a bunch of different icons that says, um, I don't know, it might have a, a triangle on it or a, a square on it. And so you have basically the cards that you're putting together are um, there to kind of... Um, meet a formula of, of victory conditions. So one of them is symmetry. So symmetry will say if you have uh, four of each symbol, this will score your points. So you take a, a ribbon for that. So really, it's a, it's a game at its core, I guess. It's a game of 
matching symbols in a particular formula to meet the uh, victory conditions. But above that, you're making cool pictures where you're you're layering clear cards together onto a canvas and making kind of a neat and it, to me they kind of remind me of surrealist like uh, uh, if you're familiar with Rene Magritte is a surrealist paint, uh, painter um, where you're just kind of layering all these images together to make a, a little scene so that's a canvas okay. and then there's oh sorry go oh ahead. okay okay yes Rene Magritte is the I know that one painting of the guy in the bowler hat with the mm-hmm. the green apple, the apple in front of his head. Yeah, yes. that's him. Okay, yeah, that's him. That's bowler hats for Rene Magritte. He's uh, he was a contemporary of uh, of Dali, but a little bit more grounded, I guess. But anyway, not as crazy, you know. Whatever. Right. Yeah. So. so there's one out of the game that I've been playing, but I'm going to let Rich talk about that. <laughs> All right. Is this one we've been playing together? Yes. Slowly. <laughs> mm. I'm sure we can talk about that. Um, I, I have been playing, uh, my wife and kid, we uh, sort of learned how to play Mysterium. And uh, I think Roy has played this before? It's It's been quite a while, but yes. I've played it, it once at a game night. It's basically reverse, it's basically reverse Clue. It's like, uh, if you're playing Clue, one person takes, you know, the little answer envelope, looks through all of it, and then shows vague cards to the other players, and you try to figure out what what he's talking about. It, it, it yeah, I know, I have discovered about myself that this is the type of game that I'm useless at, because <laughs> I, I can't seem to think abstractly because it's like uh i mean it's not like you're the cards show like a gun or something you know it's never anything like that these visions that the ghost is sending these psychics are very vague and so it may be like a the picture has a whole lot of red in it well you notice that the hunter card has a whole lot of red in it. Maybe they're talking about that. Maybe not, you know? And, uh, yeah, my kid was really good at it. I was terrible. So yeah, I, yeah, the, the game's fun. Uh, you can get it on iOS. You can get it on steam. You can purchase the board game from wherever. I think I got it from Amazon or miniature market one. And, uh, but it was fun. I, I was just shocked to find out that two kids already know how to play this of, of mine, and so I'm like, oh, dadgummit, so I'll get a copy so we can play on holidays and stuff. Um, the other thing, I wasn't sure if I had talked about this last time or not. I backed the Morkborg Heretic Kickstarter, and um, it's, yeah, I continue to buy things for this game that I don't own. <laughs> And I, I originally wanted a copy of it, and it was sold out everywhere. Well, do you remember that uh, they did that Mork Borg album, you know, thing? Yeah, the vinyl? LP, I remember yep. that. Oh, vinyl. Yeah. Okay, so I backed that, and and I got uh, as one of the goals, uh, one of the add-ons, I could get a copy of Mork Borg. So I'm like, yay, okay, I'll do that. And But it won't ship till like, March. <laughs> so... I'm continuing to buy stuff from Mortborg, but I don't actually own this game. Uh, people tell me it's fun, 
and good, and I love people that hop on Reddit and talk about how, like, terrible it is or whatever. It's just hysterical because they will turn around and use that as, like, advertising. You this know, is the game we're going to play for our Patreon subscribers, right? Oh, yeah, we could. Absol- right. Absolutely. It's, it's yeah, super weird, and uh, I dig it. So, anyway, this is... Uh, yeah, you'll have about a day or two after you listen to this to back this. This is Morkborg Cult Heretic, a zine of misadventure and malice from the Morkborg Cult. A GM wall of doom. A hex bolt gal for four forgotten folk gods. So, there you go. I was happy to see at least one other local person that I know backed this, so maybe I can get a local game in in the post-COVID times. So, I noticed that the uh, all the little blurbs from various people, does none of them are from that one guy on Reddit. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, because uh, well, yeah, this is... This is, this is this is a zine for Mortborg that's not by the company that makes Mortborg. They oh, okay. actually use his that quote from the guy from Reddit in other advertising, which is pretty funny. Okay. <laughs> the other thing, I've actually got into uh, gaming online for role-playing, and uh, a friend of mine let me into a group that he games with weekly, and uh, they do Dungeon Crawl Classics. And we're doing mm-hmm. a two-part uh, game with uh, the one who watches from below is the uh, thing we're playing. So it's a lot of eyeballs and eyeball-related stuff. I was really shocked as hell when like uh, it came down to, like, okay, there's this object here, and so what do we do? And a guy's like, well, I'm going to walk up to it and touch it. And his eyeballs pop out, and like they become like a plot device that you have to carry around this guy's eyeballs. And so, yeah, it's pretty crazy, and uh, yeah. But um, I also, I don't think I've posted it on Twitter. I've been building a little thing to do some YouTube videos, so I may show it on there. Um, my friend Chris and I each got um, the... Dungeon Crawl Classics mystery boxes that you can get uh, from what you call it. Uh, who makes them, Roy? It's um, uh, oh, you're damn. asking me questions. I don't know. Goodman Games. Goodman there Games. Go. Yeah, so it's a mystery that box guy. from Goodman Games, and um, they ended up pretty good. I ended up better than Chris did because he ended up with duplicates, but he has bought more of their stuff than I have. So I got a bunch of modules I didn't have, um, some hardback stuff, some stuff for Metamorphosis Alpha, Metamorphosis Alpha, and some stuff for uh, Lankamar that they do. So it was worth it for two people to buy it and then kind of trade out the stuff that they didn't have. But uh, other than that, I don't think I would order another one because I see I see people posting on Reddit and stuff like what they got, and it's about 60-70% of the same thing I got. So I'm like, oh, okay. So there appears to be a lot of duplicates. So it doesn't, you know, does it uh, benefit you to buy more than one per person? I would say. And in speaking of, I bought my ticket for Spawn of Cyclops Con, their online convention that they're having uh, February 26th through the 28th. And I hope to get into some uh, Metamorphosis Alpha uh, stuff. So this will be online, and I'll, you know, 
we'll see how that goes. I, you know, I keep wanting to stream it, but I uh, these sessions and stuff I've been doing, but I'm, you know, you end up with like four or five ex- other people that you don't know, and so I don't want to do it without telling them, because mm-hmm. that's maybe kind of a dick move. And, uh, and other than that, is I don't want to be that guy and be like, Hello, hey, how about I stream this for my four followers I have on Twitch? Ho, 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 ho. You know. <laughs> and then, you know, because they might just be like, whatever, dick. Uh, no. Because uh, the other guys I game with that I found on Reddit, they just do random OSR stuff, and we did White Hack about a week ago. And, um... I'm not really... I'm getting into OSR, so I'm not this old-school D&D guy. But this, as I understand it, this is based on... Um, what is it? The second edition rules? The guy kind of just went through it, streamlined everything, whatever. And it's I think it's only like a 13-page rulebook, a 30-page rulebook, something like that. Are you familiar, guys familiar with, with it? I can never remember which version led to which one, so... Yeah, this is a uh, well. White Hack is a sixty-four page book that is like a trade, a six six by nine trade size thing. So there you go. So this is based on second edition D and D. Yes. Okay, that's kind of what I yeah. That, that was my college days for sure. So yeah, um, and it was it was fun. You know, I really like it when you know it's kind of simple and and stuff. And uh, so much of it really came down to like the gm you're like well what do i you know i don't see a rule for me doing this or that and and he was like okay we'll just roll this and then there you go and so anyway i uh <clears throat> i like that and now we're we're gonna do Morkborg on one session so i'm like yay i'll i'll learn maybe I finally play this game that i keep buying stuff for <laughs> although in my defense i buy things for it that haven't shipped yet. So months down the line, a whole bunch of Mork Borg stuff will come. And then, then we'll be ready for the Patreon. And uh, the last thing I'll talk about is I backed Victory Line, a dramatic player-connecting card game. Um, it's created, dramatic. It's dramatic. It's created uh, by the guy that's doing Warline. And um, he did this as part of a thing that kickstarter was offering and it was just really simple and cheap so i hopped on it and uh yeah i will let you guys know what it's like when it gets here although it should get here hopefully you know um it was 69 backers pledged 706 dollars to bring this um project to life and uh yeah i think it's actually gonna ship in a month or so but we'll see anyway what you been playing rich well, I played a little bit of One Deck Dungeon, which I've played a number of times before with my daughter. I can't remember if I've talked about it on this podcast or not, but my, my little one and I used to play it a fair amount um, and just haven't played it in a while. Not because, I don't know, just didn't make it to the table. But my wife actually brought it up to the hospital one day, and when we played, you know, you talk about a cafe game, One Deck Dungeon is a great one. So on those tiny little hospital tables that they give you, uh, we played One Deck Dungeon, so... Um, it's a fun little game. It's It can be one or two player only. Um, and basically, if you play one player, you just flip the card over to the one player side. If you have a two player, you each pick a different character and you play on the two player side. And you each get a, a number of attributes like strength, agility, magic, and health. Uh, and you get to roll a number of dice based on how much strength you have, how much agility you have. And there's different, there's some things in the dungeon that are like sort of like 
puzzles or obstacles and some things that are actual monsters and uh, once you fight you're going to roll a number of dice and there's lots of different ways the dice can interact between the two characters you can you can give dice to other players you can add dice you can swap dice out you can modify them um, and some of the monsters will actually take dice away from you sometimes based on what you roll and everything so eventually you've got to cover up all the boxes to kill the monster or defeat the obstacle and if you don't then you take damage and or possibly time damage which the more time that you spend the less time that you have to sort of level up before you get to the bottom of the dungeon but um we played it um it's a fun game i I enjoy it every time i play it it takes i want to say if you're teaching someone and they really don't know the rules at all maybe 45 minutes if you both know the rules it's it's more like half an hour plays pretty quickly um and it's it's not easy at all but there's actually a campaign mode as well so that in between sessions or at the end of each session, you can kind of level your character up and get a little bit stronger each time. And really, if you want to take on some of the tougher bosses in the game, you you pretty much have to have a leveled up characters. But it's it's quite fun. There's an expansion for it, too, called like uh, Forest of Shadows or something. I played a little bit with. Um, I'm not crazy about the expansion. Most of the time I just play the base game. I do know it is available for iOS and Steam as well. It is, yeah. Yep, and you can play those as well. Um, it's a good way to kind of find out if you enjoy it. Um, but, yeah, I've got both. I've got it on – I think I have it on my phone and Steam. And because I've played it quite a bit in solitaire mode, and then, like I said, I play two-player with my daughter and now with my wife. I think she might want to start up a campaign because she enjoyed it. And then uh, my daughter was in town, so we just – we played a game of Ticket to Ride, which she always likes playing. Um, that seems to be her kind of go-to lately. So we've talked about that before um, and not much else to say about that. But I did get to play a new game, um, OCS Korea, which I've, I've played a little bit of OCS. I played a lot of Hungarian Rhapsody last year. I've pushed around counters and a few of the other ones. But Korea, which is actually one of the earlier games I picked up in the MMP sale last year. Um, a few months ago, and uh, actually, I haven't even played it on the table. I've been playing Vassal only with a friend. We've been working our way through it. But um, if you haven't played OCS, it's it's by Multiman Publishing. It's the Operational Combat series. They're pretty big games, uh, but we've been playing some of the small scenarios in it that really are just you can play in three hours maybe. So it's not very big, um, not very many counters on, and it's just sort of pushing counters around. But if you want to play the entire Korean War, you can play that too, and that'll probably take you, I don't know, 30 hours maybe, 40, 50 possibly. Uh, so I haven't played any of those yet, um, but yeah, been playing Korea OCS. Now, uh, tell me about the map size on that. So I know, is it multiple maps, or are you yeah, just playing in a small section of a map? It's definitely multiple maps, but like I said, since I haven't actually put it on the table, I'm not sure. I think Korea is a two-mapper. So all the maps are pretty much always going to be 22 by 34, and then OCS games, I don't think there are any one-mappers, but they all go from two to... Maybe some of them might even be as many as six maps. Um, but like I said, for the smaller scenarios, it easily fits on one map. So you don't have to lay out the whole thing on the table. Or if you're on Vassal, um, depends on the module. But for OCS Korea, it actually still does put the whole map up there. And then you just sort of concentrate on the one section that you're actually playing on. Hmm. Okay. And yeah. uh, like how many – I mean average counter size for like what you've been doing, how, ma- how many is that? How, how- – deep is the counter size 
Not too many. Uh, maybe uh, 20, 30, 40 on the side. So okay. not too many. Yeah. All right. And we played the Chosun Reservoir first, and we're playing the uh, the Operation Ripper, I think it's called now, which we're actually just setting that one up. But Chosun Reservoir is a pretty simple scenario. You know, the communists come in from the north and just try to push the uh, the NATO or UN forces off the, you know, you, you try to get them down to the port and then kill them before they can bring in reinforcements. So it's only like seven turns, so it plays pretty quickly and not that many counters. The communists. But again, if you want to play the entire Korean War, I don't know how many counters are in the box, but I'm guessing five, six hundred maybe. And then some of the bigger ones, like if you want to play, you know, Battle of the Bulge, which is might be the biggest OCS game, um, you know, it's it's huge. So okay, and yeah, I think that one is. I think Battle of the Bulge is, is four maps. You know, the Korean War is kind of. I was just thinking about this. This is kind of a war that we kind of really don't know that much about yeah. as far as, like, the actual history of, like... And I know that at one point the Chinese came over the border and kind of pushed all the Americans back. Like they, sorry, the, the UN was getting pretty close to right. winning the war until the Chinese came in. Yeah, and the Chosun Reservoir scenario that we played, that's basically what happened there. So I don't okay. know that much about the war either. I do know a little more about Chosun Reservoir just because... I was in the Navy, and the Navy and the Marine Corps talk about that a lot. Yeah. There was a, a guy there named Chesty Puller who was just like, oh, you know, the, yeah. the biggest badass, and he was <laughs> he was the one in charge of the Chosun Reservoir mm. forces. Yeah. yeah, all we know about the Korean War is from Mash. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, that TV series went on longer than the actual war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, it's yeah they call the the Korean War the Forgotten War because mm -hmm. we kind of we rolled right from that was it was like we rolled right from World War Two into the Korean War into Vietnam. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, it is interesting. Uh, there's so much stuff that kind of came out for it. I know, like, uh, the Chinese were dressed... It was, it was very cold, and uh, the way they were dressed, we were trying to move to a smaller round gun for uh, to be the average infantry rifle, but we had to switch back to, like, the M1 because we needed uh, penetration. Mm. Uh, not what, because the, of the way they seven six two versus the five five six. Ah, I don't. I don't know. It's and I'm probably screwing this up. And somebody's yelling and going to send me an angry email. That's okay. It's, it's <laughs> chance of gaming at gmail .com. I am oh. not a Korea Korean War um, uh, aficionado by any or what would you say a expert a historian? No, none of that. But um, yeah, it was something like that. And then like us moving over to the. Was it the five five six or the or is it two two three? Whatever the M sixteen was in Vietnam, mm -hmm. that was a whole mess too. Yeah, because of the way the gun interacted with all the humidity and all that. But yeah, there was yeah a lot of interesting yeah. stuff in Korea. And Dan I Carlin heard... is furiously pounding out of <laughs> an angry email right now. Yes, because he listens to this show. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. This is this yeah. Is, I he... think some of the scenarios might have. Uh, sort of the what if, what ifs of the Korean War, and one of the big what ifs is, I mean, there was a real possibility that we would have used nukes in that war. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why so. they that's why they got rid of MacArthur. They that's why yeah. they sacked him. Now yeah. he he is a fascinating, fascinating historical character because he did his own PR, and 
like yeah. would just like make up shit and yeah he's yeah, utterly... I like fascinating as a word because it doesn't mean good or bad it yes. just means interesting and that's macarthur <laughs> yes because he was absolutely fascinating just doing his own pr and just selling this stuff and selling himself and all this so basically you know we had no choice but to put him in charge of the korean war and he finally you know it got to the point where he was like ah, well all right guys look i've tried my best so uh yeah i'm gonna need some nukes yeah you, you know that thing y'all did in japan a couple <laughs> years ago I need, I need some of those and people were like are you out of your mind <laughs> nobody it, knew that killing these commies was going to be so hard yes <laughs> nobody said it was going to be hard i need some nukes come on all the other kids have nukes and so, uh, or I guess it was Atomics. It was like Dune. It, it was, yeah. he, he needed yeah, the household I, I, I Atomics. Yet, but yeah. Yes, I don't know if there really were sandworms on the chosen, re- on the, uh, <laughs> that, yeah, but anyway. So that's, they sacked him over that. They're like, no, we're, we're kind of not going to do that anymore because it was like a really big thing and it really scared the Russians and all this stuff. We, we're not interested in totally destroying the planet and all that stuff because they just started thinking about that that whole mutually assured destruction like that's the whole reason why there has it we haven't nobody used has used it since is because like if you shoot yours i'm going to shoot mine and eventually it'll all be at that time too i can't remember when the russians got the bomb but it was around that time yeah so like i think they technically had it but maybe they didn't have many yet so it was a very, definitely an interesting time in history with deciding, mm. you know, whether whether it was okay to use the bomb or not. I mean, I, I would definitely say had they used atomics, it would not have de-escalated the Korean War <laughs> by any by any stretch. And that's what he was trying for. You know, that's that was the big thing. It was like, okay, I've got to win this thing. I've just got to nuke them back to the Stone Age. You know, yeah. So that Fallout would not have been a video game. It would have been actual life. <laughs> yeah, no lie. Uh, anyway. It would have been a video game called No Fallout. <laughs> mm. How things were, yeah. So, speaking of, like, destroying half the universe, we played another game of Thanos Rising. Um, okay. I've talked about that one before, too. Uh, I, I played that with my daughter today. Yeah, go ahead. I saw you play that at Dice Tower Con. Uh, it, yeah, that might have been the first. Yes, I, yes, that is the first time we played it because my my middle daughter enjoyed it so much that she bought it on the spot. So. Yeah, I, I was gonna yep. say, Rich, as much as you've played it at this point, if you don't own it, you should probably own it. Oh yeah, we mm. own it, and not only do we own it, but we also own the Harry Potter version of it, which is called, I think, Death Eaters Rising. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's okay. It's it's very much. Uh, kind of a luck-based game. There's a lot of die rolling, not many interesting decisions to make. So, I mean, you know, it it's not extremely interesting to me, but my daughter enjoys it, and we, we actually watched Infinity War while we played the game today. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And we, we we lost the first one, and we won the second one. So, so everything uh, is in balance as it should be. <laughs> it does remind me, are, are you guys watching uh, WandaVision? Yeah, we are. I saw the first um, episode. My my wife and daughters really enjoy it. I think it's okay. I mean, we're caught up, so we're I'm not going to give any spoilers or anything. At the th- end of the third episode, which is where we are now, I see, you know, it's it's starting to take that twist that you knew was going to get there eventually, but so far it's just been kind of cheesy and corny and I haven't been that crazy about it. Well, from 
from my perspective, um, I have a lot of experience watching these show black and white shows from the fifties. Right. Because um, have you seen them all so far, Adam? Uh, I have not watched the third one. I haven't seen the third okay. one yet. Because and, it, so for Roy, so the show is progressing through the decades too. Like so, the first one oh, okay. is very much like nineteen fifties. The second it's one like is sixties. The third one is seventies. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So each episode is progressing as well. Okay, so eventually it will, in fact, be in color. Uh, third episode is in color, yeah. Okay. It, it'll get around, I guess, to like the 70s or <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. And... Yeah, the third episode feels very much like Brady Bunch. The, I think the, oh, okay. I can't remember which one is which. The first one, it was kind of like uh, I Dream of Genie or Bewitched or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, maybe I'll have to keep watching that because I was... Yeah, I mean, it's... And it's so quick. It's 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 a short show. It's weird though that the credits are so long because like you look at you know how much time you've got left on the show and oh we've got like eight minutes to go. Yeah, but it's got seven minutes of credits at the yeah. end. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Nickelodeon was like a really big thing in the '80s when it happened and came out. And when they started Nick at Night, all they did was license all these programs from the '50s. And so mm-hmm. I'm just sitting in front of a television, but sitting there all day, and so I'll just continue to sit there all night on the same channel. And so I ended up watching like all these shows, like Donna Reed Show, Mr. Ed, My Three Sons, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff. So I really mm-hmm. liked them, you know, growing up. So it's really neat to see kind of like this throwback to that with WandaVision, and uh, yeah, and plus it was nice to see uh, Kitty Foreman back again. Um, oh yeah, yeah, uh, from that '70s show. I can't think of what the actress. Oh name yeah, that's is. right. She plays the guy that's Deborah. Life. Yeah, something. Yeah, Deborah Deborah Joe Rupp. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So sorry to so jump in. There. Elizabeth Olsen is she one of the Olsen? She's not one of the Olsen twins. Is she not an one Olsen of the twins, sister? but she yeah, she's their younger sister. Yep. Okay. All right. Those girls and were then, like billionaires by the time they turned eighteen, which was crazy. Oh really? Yeah, they yeah. Re- they really were. That when they inherited like all their stuff, which was just like their them marketing from like when they were like six. You know, all, oh, yeah. all the way up. You know, the movies and yep. Yeah, there was all this merchandise and all the all this different stuff for them. And when they turned eighteen, they were literally like billionaires. So. And okay. I, I'm gonna whiff on the name of the actor that plays Vision, but he was the same actor that was in Master and Commander, uh, not the Russell Crowe character, but <laughs> that, the that was... the Doctor. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, Roy, that just made me laugh because I want to see now. I want to see Russell Crowe as Vision. <laughs> because I think it would be Paul Bettany. Yeah, I, yeah my yeah. wife's a big yes. fan of his. Yeah, she likes he, anything he's He played in. the uh, the albino in the... Um, uh, oh, the Dan... The Dan Brown. Yeah. yeah, that's right, he did. Really? And then he okay. also was in... Um, he played Chaucer in A Knight's Tale, didn't he? Oh my gosh, he was fantastic in that. Yeah. I, that, I love, love that, that movie. movie so much. Yeah. See, that's another one that's so cheesy and corny to me that oh. I'm like, it's okay, I'll watch it. But my wife loves that movie. So, okay, here you go. He played um, uh, Russell Crowe's friend in um, Master and Commander, and yeah. he played Russell Crowe's imaginary friend in A Beautiful Mind. Oh, that's mind. right, Beautiful Mind. Yeah. Oh, I haven't uh-huh. seen that one. <laughs> okay. Spoiler alert: his he was imaginary. <laughs> so, okay. All right. 
we got to go on. What, what yeah, else have so we been playing? We've covered the Marvel Universe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I also have been playing Labyrinth, uh, The War on Terror. So it's a it's a two-player card game. I've got it set up on my table right now, but I've been mostly been playing on Steam with online friends. Um, it just came out on Steam recently. But it's a two-player card game. It's a Volkovruka game. It feels very much like a coin game. It is not actually a coin system game, um, but it's got that same sort of feeling to it. And um, it's... It's interesting. It's deep. It's complicated. It's not. It's not that hard as far as like learning how to play, but learning how to win is is difficult. So I've been probably I've been playing a lot of other newbies. So I'm just kind of 500 at it. You know, you'll win one, I'll win one. But yeah, I've been playing that one quite a bit and having fun with that. And then another online game that I've been playing that I'm a little bit obsessed with right now, just because it feels like a puzzle that needs to be solved, is Terra Mystica. <laughs> Um, which the three of us are playing and also Matt from uh, History on the Table. So the four of us are playing that game on Board Game Arena as well. So um, I think Matt and Roy are probably the only two with previous experience. Have you played it before, Adam? No, that's the one that I feel like an asshole when when I'm (laughs) playing it because I'm like, I don't don't know what I'm doing. I'm like texting Roy. I'm like, what should I do here, you know, at at this point? So it's, it's... it's sort of a worker placement area control game, but it's got a lot of depth to it that I honestly wasn't expecting. I mean, there's, you know, you're trying to build things. You're trying to convert one building into another. You're trying to, um, you know, you've got lots of different point tracks, so it's got a little bit of a point salad aspect to it. But there's a lot going on in that game, and it's it's very easy to blow yourself up because the game will be like, oh, yeah, you can do that, but you're going to have to convert a bunch of power to do it. And the next thing you know, it's like, whoa, wait, I'm down to six power for the rest of the game? Holy crap, I'm dead. Let's see, so, so you're it's, playing it's the Swarmlings, right? I am, yeah. Okay, I'm looking at the game board. You're, you're, at, you're at seven power right now. Yeah, and you, I probably started with, what, 11 or so? Yeah, something like that. And we're in turn two, so, yeah. But so if you get rid of some power, then it kind of cycles faster, is kind of my theory about that. Yeah, I guess that's true. But I, I don't know. I've been, I've been messing around with the games. Just I've been playing. I've got the one game going with you, and then just trying to figure out how, how it's supposed to work. But um, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely got my attention. In fact, so much so that I'm thinking about getting Gaia Project, which is uh, the successor to Terra Mystica. But Gaia Project is actually in stock at Miniature Market right now. So I'm thinking about picking that one up. Yeah, this is. I've played Gaia Project once, and it was with Gaming Cancer. So. <laughs> I just take it with a grain of salt. It's it's kind of the same mechanics where when you uncover a building, when you like everything, the, whatever's under the building, then you get. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's got that too, which is kind of like um, uh, Scythe has that yes, same mechanic. Yep, same, yeah, same sort of thing. Yeah, there's a whole lot of different mechanics in it. So, I mean, honestly, if I had to categorize it, I'd probably call it a Euro trash game just because there's – or I'm sorry, a Meritrash game because – just because there's so many different moving parts. Um, mm-hmm. But despite the fact that trash is in the name, I think Ameritrash is, it's a, you know, it, it's interesting because there are, it's, it's a machine that, and that has to fit together properly. And from what I understand, Terra Mystica is like, it's maybe not balanced is the right word, but because there's zero hidden information and because it's very in-depth strategy, it's, it's really a competitive game that people enjoy playing competitively. Now, didn't I see where it's available on Steam? Yes, it is. And that's, I've been playing it there, too, just to try to learn how to play. Yeah, that's, oh. I think that's what I need to do. But I'm cheap. I can't. I, look, 
I, I there's <laughs> something in my mind, in my brain, the way I'm wired. I cannot pay full price for a Steam game. I can't do it. I don't think I can even. You have pay, to wait till it goes on sale. You mean? Yes, and it has yeah. to be forty percent or better because I can't. <laughs> I can't do it because eventually it will. It'll. It'll come around and you know it'll be sixty, seventy percent off and yeah. So anyway. So it's. Uh, I'm looking at the game board right now. It's. Uh, it's Matt's turn. So I'm calling him out. <laughs> come on, get on it, Matt. Text yeah. him, Richard. Say, come on. I'm pretty sure he's watching the Chiefs game right now. <laughs> All right. So. So what do you think of Terror Mystic Roy? I don't know that we've actually talked about it on this show before. You're it's, the one that uh, knows it the best. Right. Well, so I've played uh, – this will be my third or fourth game of it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I kind of like it. It's – um, it's, and I, I think I, I uh, put it out on Twitter. I said every, every faction is a slightly different puzzle to solve. Yeah. And really every – Every game is a little bit different because the uh, bonuses that you get every round are a little bit different, yeah. and the factions are a little bit different. Uh, and I think so. The way we, the game was set up uh, for the game that we're playing, we chose our factions. But I think that um, there's a way you can set it up where it kind of evenly divides um, the different players around the color wheel, so they're a little bit apart from each other. Yeah, because that would be weird. I, I don't know if it's prohibited or just discouraged, but if two players had the same starting terrain, that would definitely be a strange game. No, I don't. You can't do that. But yeah, like, okay. So like, uh, what? Grass and mountain are right next to each other. So yeah. if if you take the grass and mountain factions, you're gonna have a lot of uh, kind of conflict there with each other. Whereas if you had grass and desert are kind of diametrically opposed across the, the wheel to each other. So there's a lot less, um, I guess, fighting for terrain there. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of times, like, at the end of the round, you'll get one spade. And, you know, maybe you can't completely terraform something, but you can get something closer. But you have to be careful because you might be helping out someone else instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that's... Uh, yeah, yeah Terra Mystica. It's a lot of fun. I'm sure I'll, I'll talk about it some more after we've had a chance to play our entire game. And then, um, yeah, like I said, I'm thinking about getting Gaia Project, so I think uh, I'll probably report on that at some point, too. We're at 17% of the way through the game. <laughs> wow. Okay. We started We started right around the beginning of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so RPGs, I've got a couple online RPGs going. One is Call of Cthulhu, and the other was Warhammer Fantasy RPG. Uh, neither are, are new, per se. I have several sessions into each of them, but enjoying both of them quite a bit. Um, don't really have anything new to say about those. And then I'm also playing uh, some 18xx games as well on 18xx.games, which is an amazing website that you can play 18xx games on. Um, it does. They've got some that are fully featured out. Some of them you can try and they're still in alpha and may not have all the rules in there yet or everything, but actually just one another 18xx game. So I've been playing 18xx games for a year now. I started last January. It was the first time I ever played one. I won the first one I ever played and then I won another one just last week, I think. So every January, I'm going to win an 18xx game. <laughs> and then the rest of the year, I'm just going to lose them all. But every January, look out. Now, uh, I've got a question for you in the 18xx vein. Yeah. It's um, 
now i've i've played it my my friend chris is a huge huge fan of it uh other friends are there's a whole group plays locally and all the stuff and in edging into board gaming with my wife i think this might be kind of something more in her wheelhouse what uh-huh. would be a good starter 18xx game so probably the I'm not the expert on this, but from what I've been told, 18AL is a pretty good starter, 18 Alabama. Um, it's a it's a fairly simple board, doesn't have a lot of the complex rules, and you can actually get it as a print and play. Um, so that's, that's a good reason uh, to start with that one. Um, there are some other ones that are fairly simple. Uh, let's see, 18 Mex, which is one that I just picked up, is uh, is not super on the complicated side. And then there's other games that aren't really 18xx games. They're not 18xx games, but they're sort of in that vein that get you toward there. Other train games, other you know rails games, cube rails games, kind of like that. So okay, let me break in here. There's a game on Board Game Arena called Paris Connection, which I do not know anything about, although yeah. it looks very much like an 18xx game because it's a, a what fast network portfolio building game with the objecting objective of having the most valuable stock portfolio at the end of the game hmm. uh, I, I will say still be a train game per se is that 18x games are going to have stock in them or something like Ticket to Ride is, is just the trains yeah uh-huh. see I like that part and I wish there was like a train war game like where I can like make train okay somebody's going to totally steal this and whatever that's fine um you know, it could be like like eighteen XX where I'm like I'm like making you know train rails and I'm running my trains over here, but the trains have like guns on them and shit, and they're like shooting at stuff. And yeah, that's what I want. I want. I could totally see that in a miniatures game, where you say like you know you've got the mini set up, you know that there's a train track running through the middle of the battlefield and it's going to move every single turn, and you have to destroy that thing before it reaches the edge of the board. It's yeah, it's it's kind of like ogre on uh, rails. Yeah, I, I su- yeah, I suppose, very much so. Yeah. Is is what <laughs> it is. All right, so looking at Board Game Geek and looking at the 18xx family of games and sorting by rank, the number one 18xx game is 1830 Railways and Robber Barretts. I think that's the original. It was done in 1986. And I, it is weird to me, like, if it's this popular that it's not... And it looks like Mayfair did it. Is it... Uh, well, it may currently be in print as I click on this thing. Well, there's a revised edition. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Ah, board games are so weird with that, you know. Yeah. I'm not know. sure that that one's in print. And like I said, I think that is actually the original 18xx game. Uh, but the number two is 1846 Race for Midwest, and this comes from uh, 2005. Yeah, that's a very popular Oh my one gosh, well. it's, a, it's a GMT game. Yeah. I would have never guessed. And that... I think that one is currently on the P500. I would have, yeah, I would have never guessed it would have been this big. Huh, okay, well maybe I need to pop over there and um, get a little P500. Roger will be very surprised to see my name. He'll be like, isn't this a guy that complains about stuff all the time? I don't know. And says he wants the picture of me as a centaur? What the hell is that about? <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I will say, look, I, that was the other thing when uh, Richard was sick in the hospital. I was like, Rich, come on. 
I will contact GMT. I'll tell Roger you're a Make-A-Wish kid. We can, we can milk this. You can at least get a phone call. Wouldn't that be great? You get a phone call from Roger B. McGowan. Wouldn't that be awesome? Or would you prefer Mark Simonich? Who do you want? I'll try. I'm pretty sure, like, at least through the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, I know people that know them, so it probably wouldn't be that hard to do. <laughs> can you imagine it'd be, he'd be really sad? It'd be, you know, Roger McGowan's like, oh, sir, I'm sorry, little boy. Like you, wanted a, you wanted a phone call from how old are you sir and he's like i'm i'm 57 what no you you've heard my voice no one is gonna think that i'm a grown man ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, all, right, all right all right uh so okay i'll i'll i will join the p500 for that which will probably be the first time i've ever p500 anything <laughs> instead of waiting for it to hit nws which okay he swears he he updated uh what was it about nine days ago he swears sales are coming sales are coming I'm sitting. Yeah, I'm sitting here right now with my debit card ready, looking at the screen, hitting F5. You know, wait, waiting on those sales that I was promised in December. So anyway, speaking of sales, we have a sponsor. We have Mike over at AlteredDimension.com, and it'll be linked in the show notes because it's spelled weird. And with the discount code COG2019, you can get 20% off your 3D printing order. And uh, I had a friend of mine uh, send me a link today uh, where he was, uh, he has stuff over on, um, what you call it, uh, Drive-Thru RPG. Some STL files over there where you can do I didn't know Drive-Thru RPG did that. Yeah, I was huh. I was surprised because he sent me a thing and he was like, hey, is this uh, the guy from Ultra Dimension? And sure enough, yeah, it was. It was um, luck coin things for... Um, uh, Lankamar, I'm sorry, Fleeting Luck Tokens for uh, Lankamar, and they're actually free, If you and you can you can download them, and if you, it's an STL file, and you can uh, print it yourself, and I'll have it linked in the show notes, and uh, he's got some other stuff there for sale, but you can uh, go to AlterDimension.com and there's all this great stuff that you can either purchase from him, he's got some STL files for sale, or you can actually give him your own STL stuff and he'll print it for you for a fee and ship it to you. I've done that several times and want to do it again and uh, there you go. So it's AlterDementia.com. Alright, so on to what's on your radar. And the first thing I've got is a page in which you wait and eventually it will be a Kickstarter. You know, it's one of those things. You click here get notified uh, on when it notify me on launch yeah how much money does that cost you this is um, can you just email me when it's time for me to give you money that's what i want to know <laughs> i know right it's so weird it's like you know hey you know i want to do this and it, i don't know maybe it generates hype because it gets people like us talking about it you know where they can look at it i don't know how i ran into this one again but the tagline is survival horror tabletop role-playing game set in post-apocalyptic Louisiana, Mississippi, and Southern Arkansas. It's an original game system. I, was, I, I immediately messaged the guy. I was like, you have my complete undivided attention. <laughs> you know, so it sounds really like a walking Because I'd, I'd be curious to know he's probably from your area if he's setting his game in that time. So, Well, it's, it's very niche. It's Louisiana, Mississippi, and, and only Southern Arkansas. <laughs> so... Yeah, maybe he's from this area. And I was like, look, 
I will answer any question you may have about like the, the, <laughs> describe your neighbors yes the, the geography <laughs> the uh you know who lives there you know whatever you know all the all the sort of stuff all you got to do is just ask I'm, and i'm yeah because i find this fascinating i still have my friend uh in france that's doing the he's doing a turn of the century cthulhu-esque game set in mississippi and louisiana and it's out in French, and he's working. He it would have been out in English now, but COVID happened. So I'm hoping it, by end of this year that it actually actually comes out. So anyway, so okay, I click on it. it's Backwater Games, Chicago, Illinois is where they're from. So I don't know, maybe maybe they you know it says. Uh, maybe he's from here, whatever. Let's see, it's launching a Kickstarter, blah, blah, blah. Backwater is set in post-apocalyptic future with a tenuous social order. Players take on the roles of wardens or adventurers who try to keep chaos and monstrosities at bay while uncovering secrets of bygone eras. They wander the Backwater Ward, a region around modern-day Louisiana, Mississippi, and southern Arkansas, where centuries of technological know-how have been lost and where mystical and magical forces are beginning to surface. Hold on. Let me stop you right there. I don't think there's any technological know-how here in Mississippi <laughs> that, that's been lost. I mean, you could discover an oil derrick, uh, I don't, the C Spire building. I, Maybe I don't... Mississippi is like the Wakanda of the U.S., it's just a secret, yeah. They paid yeah. a lot of, a lot of uh, Mississippi gold to <laughs> keep it up. That we're all ignorant. Don't ever come here. You'll never know. Mm. So from the Twitter feed, we plan to launch in late January. All right, it is late January. It's got a week. Yeah, why? Well, yeah, got a week. Literally two days until days. launch. January. Two, let's say, what's the date today? Twenty fourth. Twenty fourth. Okay, so yesterday. He says two days until launch. So this will launch tomorrow. Okay. So by the time you hear this, in theory, you should be able to hit the show notes at chanceofgaming.com, click on this, and back backwater Southern Gothic horror. Launches and he, on 25th at 8 o'clock Central. He, if it gives you an option at the like you know $5,000 level to come to Mississippi... I don't. I, I don't know. Or do it. I, if, you, if you do it, I'll show up. I'll try to show up. I don't know these people, but it would just be funny. You know, you, yeah, anyway. So, uh, there you go. You can stay at Adam's house. Yeah. If, you, uh, if yeah, you're sure. back at the $5,000 level. I, look, you know, I talked to the guys uh, last episode at the uh, the uh, Renegade Legion thing. I was like, look, you've got to do this, because we talk about it on the show all the time. You've got to do this. We're you have a ridiculous level tier. Have it be like sixty thousand dollars, and for sixty thousand dollars, you know, you, you, you know, you, uh, you come to Australia and we reenact Mad Max or you know something. It has to be some ridiculous tier. And he was like, "Well, yes, that is funny, but what if somebody does it, and then we have to do it?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, but you'll have like sixty grand to do it with." You know, <laughs> I don't know. I'd do that anyway. So, the next thing we have is this really strange game called Hieronymus by Laurie O'Connell. That's what I'm going to go with. 
And in Hieronymus, you play a group of refugees fleeing an astral terror known as, only as the follower. As it pursues you, you rip your way through reality into strange worldscapes inspired by the paintings of the medieval artist Hieronymus Bosch, the follower only a few steps behind. What will happen when it catches up to you? What strange worlds will it tear apart in its pursuit? And is there a way home? Hieronymus is a Forge in the Dark hex crawl game inspired by the work of the medieval artist Hieronymus Bosch. And the whole reason why I toss this on here is because if you've never seen this guy, and Hieronymus is spelled H-I-E-R-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S, his artwork is just batshit crazy. It looks like something you would see on Tumblr or, or something now that somebody did as a joke. Like it's not real. Uh, but yes, this guy existed, you know, a zillion freaking years ago. Uh, let me Google real quick and see which one it is is it totally slows down the show and blah 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 okay he was a dutch artist that lived from 1450 to 1516 and uh he looks like emperor palpatine so <laughs> <coughs> so you all have this link in the show notes if you don't believe me uh, so yeah it's his artwork is crazy i remember like in the 90s a friend of mine discovered him somehow and ordered this huge print of a painting of his. And I walked in the guy's house, and I saw the painting, and I was like, what the fuck is that? You know, <laughs> it's just crazy. It's like, oh, it's this guy. You know, this Dutch artist from, like, the 1500s that did all this stuff. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, it's just nuts. And I, the fact that they did a game uh, based on this. And I could totally see this being a hex crawl, this being an OSR. It would be, yeah, this kind of fits in great. So what does hex crawl mean? What does that mean? It's basically you're doing your, you've got your role playing game, and of course, you know the plot is to get from point A to point B. Oh, sorry, from point A to point Z. Well, it's done. You do it in a hex map, and each hex has something in it. So when you move into hex Q, you know the GM looks up and it says, "Oh, okay, there's an N there." you know, where the guy's a cannibal or, or whatever, you know. So it's kind of like that. Where Yeah, I think of a hex crawl kind of like an overland dungeon crawl. So I, oh, yeah, okay. yes. here, yeah, here's a town, here there's an orc village, here there's some woods, stuff like that. Yeah, there's just a dead deer here for no, re <laughs> for no reason at all. Here there'd be gravel, you know, whatever. Yeah, would... but when you get to the next hex, if you didn't pick up the dead deer, then you can't. <laughs> can't right. pass through. There's See, a naked guy riding a fish. Yeah. A ass first. Ass the, first. It's a Hieronymus Bosch painting. Okay. Because why? Why not? Okay. I uh, think this guy lived next to a uh, a fungal infection. <laughs> and and I'll yeah I'll have it linked in um, the show notes. The actual picture that my friend owned that's it i just pasted it into our show notes there is is that one so i walked into the guy's house and that was on that is i'm talking like you know uh two feet by four feet you know in his den 
And I was just like, what the fuck is this? Where did you get this? <laughs> it's just so strange that this was a medieval artist. I think I think my first thought would have been, am I ever getting out of this basement again? <laughs> oh, well, okay. How how is this guy not burned at the stake? You know, where he's, ma- he's, on its skin. <laughs> he's making this artwork, you know, and how does the church not come by and go, hmm, okay. Just come, you're gonna come <laughs> yeah. around for burning later. Yeah, that won't do. We gotta get rid of that. And I guess uh, the only other thing I want to mention is Hieronymus Bosch is the name of Michael Connerly's detective in the Fantastic Bosch series. Uh, he's played by Titus Weller on the Amazon Prime series. It's incredible. I highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, there you go. So, moving on to by shock. By shot, shock, and faith, Roger McGowan's getting his money this 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 uh, month. I discovered this over on GMT, and I wanted to run it by Rich. Have you ever heard of this one? Don't know anything about it. Is this an older game? Looks like I think so. I you know it's currently in print. It's not on the P five hundred. It's by shot, shock, and faith. It is a um, pike and shot game. Uh, that simulates the religious wars that occurred in France from 1562 to 1598. This civil war opposes, in first conflict phase, Protestants, otherwise known as Huguenots, to Catholics, then Royalists, to League members after the succession of Henry IV to the throne in 1589. So, there you go. I'm a big fan of Pike and Shot. It is my absolute favorite uh, historical time period for conflict for gaming and uh yeah i just i'd never heard of this before and kind of ran into it on um somehow and i saw gmt made it i am not gmt cr- has a musket and pike series but i don't think this is a part of it i don't think so either uh i know what you're talking about but uh i don't think so it's uh i'm not that my only complaint with it is i'm not a fan of the artwork and I'd be so mad if the guy that did the artwork actually is listening to this <laughs> and uh, is mad. But uh, I'm not a fan of the artwork of the actual the cover art. But the counter art is really nice. I, I like it. And, uh, yeah, I was just going to toss it in here and see. Well, this is a Hexasim game. I see it now, yeah. Okay. Hexasim so- is a, they're like a European company that GMT – I don't know exactly what the agreement is, but GMT publishes some of their games over here. Oh, okay. That's that's why we pay you, Richard. This is what you're here. <laughs> Got on here. Let's see. The actual last uh, review uh, was from 2017. So it says Matthew, so I'm going to assume it's Matt from History on the Table. He says... Just go ahead and assume that. Yes, yeah. I'm going to assume that. Five stars, fast-moving, fun game covering a lot of ground in one package. So there you go. Although yeah. Philip under uh, Felipe underneath him, and, and we'll just assume that that's Roy. Yes, is Roy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's all, he only does four stars. He says this was <laughs> this was an impulse buy, but he was very much intrigued by the theme and looks. I was also interested in in the order system. Very glad I did. Maps and artwork are fantastic. What? Why not five stars then? What's he complaining about? So I've these never, comments I'm, are for 2017. Yeah, I add. All right. Uh, yeah, it's it's really weird. It's I I don't understand that people that leave like glowing reviews and they're like eh, <laughs> only four stars, only four stars. You know, we get that on iTunes like all the time. It's like, why does the one why does the one named Adam talk so much? We don't like that. Three stars. 
go. Uh, next thing we have is from Saval. I don't know. Let's go with Svalbard. Svalbard. It's a it's a city in Norway. Yeah. This is Svalbard. Okay, you don't come here for me to pronounce stuff. You literally come That's here. That's exactly for... why we come. You here. literally, Absolutely. you literally listen to the show to hear me not be able to pronounce anything. It's uh, Svalbard. Fuck. Roy and I spend all week looking for hard to pronounce things to throw on the list for you. <laughs> I do believe that sometimes. Yeah. Svalbard is an RPG inspired by Edge of Tomorrow that will kill your character again and again. All right. First of all, my two lovely co-hosts, have you seen Edge of Tomorrow? I have yes. not, but I've played Time Stories, so I got half of it. Okay. <laughs> I, it's it's actually really, really good. There were two Tom Cruise sci-fi movies that came out at the same time and, uh, oh, well, around the same time and, and, and within a year or so of each other. Oblivion was yeah, the other one, Oblivion. right? Oblivion, and they were both really good. Yes. I, I really recommend both of them. I, es- I thought Oblivion was pretty cool. Yeah. For sure. I especially recommend Edge of Tomorrow, where um, mm-hmm. I, I think it was also called Live, Die, Repeat. It was based on the manga, the, the same thing. Anyway, really good. And so this is an upcoming RPG that is on um, Kickstarter, and it's set in 1993 in a remote region of Norway, near the North Pole. Uh, You investigate a mysterious Russian mine sleeping beneath the icy earth, containing dangerous experiments connected to the destructive Cthulhu-adjacent god Azoth. How do you be Cthulhu-adjacent? Anyway. Players must work together to fix the... They're neighbors. Copyright. (laughs) They live in the the same neighborhood. In in the same uh, cul-de-sac, I guess. There's some there. Uh, you got to fix the warp in space-time continuum before it's too late. Built on a system inspired by roguelike video games such as Hollow Knight and Hades that see players acquiring knowledge and skills through repeatedly dying. Sawbard, okay, I'm now imagining Cthulhu in a bathrobe and slippers going out to pick up the newspaper. I know. It's just, oh, he looks like <laughs> Zoidberg. That's what he is. It looks like Zoidberg. <laughs> Uh, why not Zoidberg? Uh, Svalbard expects player characters to die at least once during the game. Rather than needing to create a new player, player characters simply respawn and attempt to complete whichever puzzle they may have been working on prior to their death. I need that. So that's that's where the time stories link comes in from. So, let's see. Looking on it, uh, as of this recording, there's 12 days left to go. They wanted a measly $4,700. They are currently up to 13000 and some change. Uh, it's in NOK, uh, which is not American. So, for... Norwegian Kronar. Yeah, okay. For 140 it's about 17 bucks. You can get a soft cover and a PDF. Or 270 you get a hard cover and a PDF. That's about... It 30, looks like $31. 30, yeah, $32. Oh, okay. So, for 900 in OK, which is about $106, I get my name in the story plus a hard cover and PDF. Oh, man, so I kind of want to do that just to be stupid. Seven people have done it. I mean, really, I just want to see. Yeah. Although my luck would be, I'd pay this money 
uh, $106, and they'd misspell my name. Adam Champs, you know, <laughs> is here, and he died horribly on this thing. And of course, oh, oh my gosh, okay. I love this. I love this. The, these are our kind of people where they ask the crazy things. For 3000 in NOK, which is about $365, literally, for only a dollar a day, you can have your picture, your name, plus plus a hardcover and a PDF. So, that's great. Nice. And then, oh, we missed it completely. For 2300 <laughs> in OK, which was only 271 that's actually cheaper, you get a historical prop plus a signed hardcover. I don't so, think I want a historical prop from a Cthulhu-based game. Let's so see. What? Soviet would, rubles. Yeah, it's going to be 10 Soviet... I feel like S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to knock down my door and take it from me. 10 <laughs> Soviet rubles. That's like negative 10 cents. Uh, <laughs> it says one occult Cthulian ring, one flag of the Soviet Union. Okay, I'm not paying two, $271 for a flag of the Soviet Union. One military distinction, one Soviet coin, one occult Cthulian necklace. I love how they said it was a cult because that's important and one medal of the soviet union it says due See, to that's worth it right there do uh, i need all those for 271 dollars um due to the historical nature of the items there will be variants in each package with paper money ranging years from 61 to 91 different military distinctions etc read more in the faq so it's kind of like what barks root beer did back in the day wait what what did they do Bar Barks Root Beer at one point had a uh, some kind of a, uh, a giveaway where you could get like uh, Soviet merchandise by turning in points from their soda bottles, and the commercial was uh, if you turn in so many like million points, you get a MIG jet. Well, of course, <laughs> somebody turned in that much amount of points, and he said, "I want my MIG jet." And I think eventually he settled for cash. But <laughs> Okay, okay. I'm going to look that up and hopefully find a 10-hour documentary on it, and I'll post it in show notes. So I want to point out that Svalbard is where the seed vault is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which, if you don't know what that is, if you, it's important whenever the world ends. Because it helps bring things back. So, Which we've moved away from the brink a little bit here, it seems like. It feels like, to me at least. Uh, what do they call it? Is it the atom- Doomsday Clock? Yeah. I wonder okay. if they moved it backwards. <laughs> Since Trump left? Uh, let's see. Doomsday Clock currently is at... It's at a 100 seconds to midnight. Currently. All right. Okay. Yeah, sleep tight, kids. Well, crap. I think we got more than 100 seconds left in the show, so should we cut it down now or what? Yeah, so that's the last (laughs) thing you hear. Um, All right. I got to go hug my family. Uh, So I looked over at eBay, and you can get a linen head ruble from 1970. This is Lennon's 100th birthday um, for $1.95 plus 49 cents shipping. So, uh, you can get a thousand rubles for two dollars and fifty cents. So, I'm just I'm just letting you know, you know, I'm just you you should probably back this Kickstarter, but not if well you can't anyway. That's that's all closed. So anyway, so there you go. I I might buy. Oh, 
Oh, yes. Let's see. You can get, okay, 10 rubles in 100 banknotes. Uh, it's, it's 1,000 rubles for 15 bucks. So, there you go. Oh, well. Anyway, I kind of like the coins to have, you know, linen and stuff on it. I uh, A friend of mine actually sent me a bunch of pens from some so former Soviet bloc country because that was like a thing you know celebrating this or that or whatever and i had this like german military military jacket and i put them on it and then i think about like okay the places like where i work and i'm seen and now they're going to be like oh look you know communists are trying to infiltrate blah 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 i'm like no it's just a joke you know it's anyway so whatever so the next thing we had was this is old news but again this is what's on your radar it it can go it doesn't have to be actual new i had no idea that there was a flash gordon role-playing game by uh pinnacle entertainment group the company that does um riffs and uh yeah so i always dig that kind of turn of the century retro sci-fi stuff and so yeah there you go uh, it'll be linked in the show notes. I have no idea, like, if it's good or whatever, but I lo just love that whole idea, you know, of rocket ships and ray guns and shit, you know, so it's kind of neat. And, uh, yeah. You guys, uh, you, you at least watched the original Flash Gordon, right? You know, the awesome Queen song? Yeah, yes. I mean, I'm sure I've seen it when I was a kid. I was, it's not like, not one of those core memories or anything like that that I remember watching fondly, but I'm sure I've seen it. Hawkman, dive! Yeah, so, anyway, it's great. <laughs> uh, the next thing we had was this game I found and thought might it might be great to play at Historic uh, KC Fest. It's called Down the Canal. And I act the game of birth. <laughs> How did I find... I, I found this uh, on uh, the local Facebook marketplace. Somebody was selling it. You know, you're like, oh, let me see you know board games what's for sale locally and down the canal oh good it, grief it's actually okay would you say that we have a fear-based culture of birth uh maybe i mean like what do you mean like like well what? it says on the, on the bgg page it says this was created by a career postpartum doula trainer whose mission is to transform the fear-based culture of birth Seems like okay. If, if I was a lady, and again, God, man, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really, really sorry for trying to say this, but yeah, if if this strange alien being suddenly was in, yeah, I would be scared. I mean, that's that's <laughs> me. But you know, it's not like that. That's supposed to happen to me. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know. I have no idea. Is there a fear? based culture of birth it would freak the shit out of me yeah it, something was growing in me yes that's not good i've seen alien it's not good it burst out of my chin no it's not good it would scare me so in all of bgg one person has this marked as owned <laughs> oh look, okay I, you like click on it and terry ross god love him uh it, february 11th 26 oh, 16 gulfport, po mississippi posted, <laughs> oh shit is he from gulfport <laughs> yep, yep. No way. Oh, man. <laughs> it is a really fucking small world. It's also got a little <laughs> Canadian thing. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, he posted, there's the board, down the canal. So we should play this at, uh, at uh, Historic at KC Fest. Siege of Vicksburg. 
You know, we play it at we do the we do the bullshit at Historic KC Fest. Get it all out of it. We're serious at Siege of Vicksburg, and coming in October, uh, probably around the twenty third, the contract should probably be signed by Monday. Anyway, so yeah, down the canal. They do not talk about down the canal on um, history on the table. Maybe history off the table. I don't know. Maybe they would cover that. Anything's game I thought there. for sure you were joking when you said the the story of birth, but then I <laughs> I was absolutely floored with this. I understood what it was. Yeah, it's it's there. It's 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 a thing. I don't know. You know, there are you know kind of like some joke things that you know that they do, but this apparently is a serious type of. Hey, are you afraid of giving birth? Maybe this will make you not afraid. I don't know. I should I should buy that copy locally and then and then bring it we'll, we'll try it and see if it like makes me less scared i don't know so moving on <laughs> aeg is releasing a new warlord ccg set um and i remember this game from a hundred years ago in the in the halicon days of ccgs when it was just literally the wild fucking west they were putting out I mean, literally, it was, did you write a sci-fi or fantasy book? Well, I'm going to call you up and ask you for the collectible card game rights to your game, to your book. You sign it over, and I'm going to make this. So there were all this stuff was going on. Because everybody was trying to, you know, get that lightning in the bottle that was uh, Magic the Gathering. And strangely enough, TSR, you would think that would be the company that would make it. Uh, they had Spellfire, and it had all that in absolute incredible uh, 80s D&D art. I've often thought about just collecting like a full set of those, just because the art was just beautiful. But uh, they didn't succeed either. But there was this game called Warlord, and I do remember it. I remember buying a couple of starters of it at a particular convention in some small town in the middle of nowhere in the south. But AEG is bringing it back. So I thought that was interesting, and I thought it would bring it to your attention. It said, let's see. Warlord was pitched to me when the D20 craze was in full swing. I love the game, but the cherry on top of the pitch was they wanted to use my game. My game world as a setting for Warlord. We lost Warlord with the tagline, the game you already know how to play. If you had ever played a D20 role-playing game, you did, you did indeed know how to play. We gave away 400,000 decks, inserting them into all the major magazines and blah, blah, blah. 400,000. It was a huge gambit, but it paid off. Warlord Saga of, the St Saga of the Storm was the greatest launch of a new game in AEG's history. All right, I don't know so much if it actually paid off, because I certainly don't remember that it actually succeeding, you know, but uh, that was just me. But uh, I toss this in here because it's always fascinating to me when somebody, you know, restarts an old game. And uh, so there you go. That's one I remember. So uh, the next thing we Speaking have. Speaking of old games. <laughs> tell us about Empire in Arms. Yeah, I just this is on my radar right now, not because it's new. Um, it is an old game. It's from like the 80s, I think. Um, but it's a it's a grand strategic napoleonic wars game um that's for seven players you play like france great britain prussia austria russia 
Turkey, Spain. I can't think who else is in there, but um, so yeah, some friends and I we're we're starting it up now. We're going to play online and then probably going to play again over the weekend when we have our con in May. Um, but it's just it's just crazy. It's huge. It's you know we're just like in diplomacy right now, and it's we're playing 1805, which so like France is the big bully and everything's and it's just interesting even in diplomacy seeing how you know you can be like well. We don't have to play this historically, you know. Maybe I'll align with France. Maybe I'll stay neutral. Maybe I'll do this. So, um, I'll let you guys know how it's going. But it's just—it's already starting off to be kind of wild, and it looks like it's gonna be a lot of fun. Okay. I—I uh, I recognize that cover. Uh, in this case, Empire in Arms was created in '83. Uh, I'm trying to see Greg Pender and Harry hey, Roland. I don't really under, uh, recognize. Yeah. Oh, it's an it old came, Avalon Hill game. An Australian design group, too. So it uh, looks like it is, uh, it's got some blocks in it. That's kind of I don't think so. I think it's counters, but it's a big map, and it's not, I mean, it is strategic. So you do, like, economy, diplomacy, and then I we haven't even... We're still in the first diplomacy phase. I don't even know how the battles are going to work yet, but uh, you know, it's it's very much diplomacy and strategy. Mm. Strategery. So a lot of that going on. Mm. Kids love that. I, let me know if it's any good. It it does, I will. It's one that's you know I've I've familiar with, but uh, never actually taken a look at. But okay. Yeah. Uh, the next thing we had is. The Pratson. Yeah, so same timeline, exact opposite scale. This one, um, if you're familiar with the Battle of Austerlitz, uh, 1805, it was a famous battle in the Napoleonic Wars. Um, I think it was called the Battle of Three Emperors or something like that. Um, but pretty fascinating battle. But one small section of that battle was fought over the uh, the Pratson Heights. And I just saw this. It looked interesting. It's a Kickstarter for a new... Uh, a new war game that's just about the Pratts and Heights. So, um, just came out. I thought it looked interesting. I'd throw it up here. Uh, it's really interesting, especially because it it got 28 days to go. So I assume it's been. Released. I think it just started like today or yesterday. Yeah. yeah, they wanted a measly eight grand, and they're already up to almost thirteen thousand dollars with um, 28 days left to go. So, uh, what company is it? I I don't know. Um, it's Peter Perla. I don't recognize the name. I don't recognize the company. So, I don't know if this is just like his personal labor of love or what. Yeah, it looks pretty interesting. I like the card art and stuff on it. And yeah. let's see. what The highest stretch goal they got is forty two grand, and that's mounted maps. All right. A little disappointed in that. I feel like mounted maps should be the first stretch goal but yeah. that's just me um first stretch goal which they have met is a game box okay this is a small company okay the, <laughs> you're okay you're you're not the game itself with the the counters and the arts and the card it, it reminds me of actually a hexasim game called uh it's called Rising Eagles 1805 the Battle of Austerlitz kind of reminds me of that one which is an established game uh so i don't know interesting uh yeah stretch goal like three and four like additional rule book additional playbook I'm like eh, really you need two extra okay okay that's just me yeah. grousing i'm sorry you're twenty two thousand dollars you get to participate in a cavalry charge on 
to Pratson Heights. Yes. Which that's is what probably is. like a neighborhood right now. Yeah, really. <laughs> it's a high rise building. Your horses just go right off the end. <laughs> and uh, what's the next one? What's the next thing we got here? Uh, another Kickstarter. Just, you know, I thought I'd throw this up there. It looked interesting. This one's actually a solitaire game uh, for the Battle of Tarawa. Um, I. I'm fascinated by Pacific War stuff. This one looked kind of interesting to me. What I thought was interesting, it looks like it's a block-based game, which I don't think I've ever seen a block-based solitaire game because the whole point of blocks is so that you can see what you have and your opponent cannot. So I'm not sure exactly how this works out, but um, I'm definitely interested by this battle itself. So I thought this was an interesting Kickstarter. This one is Worthington, which is an established company, but they are doing a Kickstarter as well. Yeah, that's okay. They're they're a smaller company, so <laughs> we'll 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 let that side. They're they're smaller. Yeah, and their goal was like nineteen hundred, and they're at twenty three thousand. So, wow. Okay, that's really good. They yeah. Okay, I often wonder like what do companies think like that? They're like, oh, what do what do you think the cheapest we can do? It's like okay, man. Look, I know it's it's really it's a lot, it's a shitload of money. We have to do this for. $1,943. Really? Is that the best you can do? Yes, that's the best you can do. Well, it and, seems odd. I mean, also, I mean, Worthington's not the biggest, but they are established. I, You would think that if someone came, if you walked in the door with Worthington, like, I got a project for you, and you're going to make $2,000 off this project, they're going to be like, get out of my door. $2,000 is nothing for us. <laughs> you would think, yeah. Uh, and uh, okay, the it's like you the basically the discount is fifty nine bucks. It's ten dollars off. They're saying MSRP is sixty nine. Or this be... one because it's Worthington, it will almost certainly be at miniature market too. So yeah, okay, well they they made it anyway. Um, the next thing we had, I just thought was uh. Really, really interesting. I don't know if you guys follow Rocky Mountain Naval War Ga- Naval Gamer. On- Sometimes I'll see. I don't follow him religiously, but I'll see like tweets that someone retweets or something. I follow him on Twitter. And, yes, yeah. yeah, that's it. Like anyway, his actual blog, I don't read all the time. He did a really good rundown of various strategic traveler games from the Traveler RPG, and uh, I know personally, I would love a copy of Imperium. Which is like the the first thing that he does, which is a grand strategic thing. But he also covers like the Fifth Frontier War and uh, Invasion Earth, and uh, a couple of other article based stuff. And you know, I I'll just have this posted in the show notes. I just thought it was really really neat, and I just wanted to kind of talk about like the um, I'm just disappointed that they're they had all these games in the 80s and the 90s. And nobody has been bothered to reprint them, even though Traveler's pretty popular nowadays. I don't know. Yeah, there's still, I mean, box sets of Traveler at miniature markets, so that they're still selling at least. Oh, yeah, there's the Mon- the Mongoose version, and basically it's kind of become, an, become a boutique RPG. They're probably about 30 40% more expensive than your average D&D stuff, and they just kind of go with that. I know I'm just like eh, okay I'll I'll pay for it, and uh, yeah so I don't I don't understand why there haven't been more, you know board games from them but I mean eh, I don't know anyway the next thing we had was it's a sprawl world after all 
I found this fascinating. It is a module for Shadowrun. Are you guys familiar with Shadowrun? Familiar with it. Never played it. Yeah. It's, uh, I've always wanted to, and it seems like every time I bring it up, people that have experience with it say it sounds a lot better than it plays. I can see hmm. that. Roy, are you familiar with it at all? You know, I used to have this second edition rule book. I think I gave it away. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's a, a mishmash of, of spells and cybernetics. Yeah, it's, it's sci-fi fantasy, which to me, what I thought was a perfect fucking version of that was, uh, did you guys watch Bright on Netflix? No, I did not. I I'm heard, familiar with heard it. That it I haven't wasn't seen very it. good. It's it's honestly it is really good, especially if you go through with low expectations. Will Smith is Will Smith, <laughs> and he's awesome in it. And um, yeah, uh, it's I thought it was really good. And I was like, holy shit, this is Shadowrun, the the freaking movie or TV show or whatever. And I thought it was great. And uh, yeah, it's sci-fi fantasy basically. It's, there's laser guns, rockets, and all that stuff, and there's also orcs and fairies and magic and stuff. So that that's a thing. So I thought, and of course, this is basically a Shadowrun module that takes place in Disneyland in the future. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, I'll try to look it up in the show notes. There is a group of people who famously shot a low-budget, found-footage horror movie set in Disney World. And they yep, did I it... I remember hearing about that. They did it by, like, you know, just kind of dragging in prosumer stuff and doing... Because, I mean, you don't really... When you're at Disney World, look... I guess if you were owning the place, you don't look twice at people with video cameras and stuff. So... And they didn't. So these people shot a horror movie in Disney World... And uh, released it, and then Disney saw it and freaked out and all this shit. But... <laughs> all right, yeah. I, I found the Wikipedia. I'll, I'll post it. It's called Escape from Tomorrow. Ah, uh, I have not seen it. As big a Disney nut as I am, I have not seen it. But, uh, yeah, we'll have it linked in the show notes, and uh, you may like it. But, again, it may just be, yeah, I don't know. I'm a huge fan of found footage. It doesn't matter if it's low budget or not. I When that first came out... When I'm like, oh my god, this is a genre, this is amazing. I pretty much watch every freaking thing that that comes out with it, or try to. I'll at least give it a chance. And so the promo poster is a is a Mickey like a four fingered glove with blood all over it. Uh, <laughs> yes, the four fingered glove are never good, never never good. Escape from tomorrow. Mm. Anyway, uh, the next thing we had on news is Warhammer looks expensive, but the truth is more complicated. This, <laughs> this is an opinion piece by uh, Luke Shaw. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of wanted to just toss it on here. You know, it's just more or less a kind of dive, in, you know, into the the actual game and, and whatnot. And it covers a few influencers and the different stuff they do. Yeah. Yes, it is expensive. That is true. And I'm, I've always been critical of Games Workshop, and less so now, but still a little bit on, on some things. But I, they've gotten better, but the reality is, is they are a modeling company first and a rules company second. So you get... The stuff you get is absolutely fucking gorgeous. It's incredibly detailed. 
and if you can paint and have the skill to put this shit together and not have to pay somebody like I do, um, yeah, this is you. You can do some amazing stuff. But yeah, it it is expensive, ish. Yes, it is. And pretty sure though, you can find a game anywhere and everywhere. And uh, it's become so mainstream. Uh, it's become really, really diverse, which I find fascinating. It, as a uh, a miniature game, is probably the most diverse, with a lot of quote-unquote influencers being uh, people of different color, uh, people being uh, transgendered, you know, and stuff like this, and they are pretty much accepted, you know, in the hobby. I mean, of course, there are still some issues, and in fact, they have a, a, a sliver uh, a tiny sliver of the community is kind of very conservative, nationalistic, and, you know, kind of stuff like that. But by and large, it's a really diverse, you know, community and company. And I, I like that, especially as it's become more mainstream with the comics and uh, cartoons and all this stuff. Is. And, you know, honestly, if you came to me and you were like, Adam, what is the one game? The one fucking game I can buy and always find an opponent, no matter where I live in in the world, I would recommend to you Warhammer Forty Thousand. So, mm-hmm. agreed. So, yeah. So I mean, it's it way before anything else. So I'll just have this link in the show notes. You can read the article, and uh, there you go. And the next thing we had is Minutemen Mark Two which I found interesting. This is a very a recent article. It was um, this game that came out in, what, around 76? It's Minutemen, the Second American Revolution. So this was yeah. kind of, yeah, it's kind of been on a lot of people's minds with all the recent insurrection and attempted insurrection and stuff that happened. And, uh, yeah. So a guy did a pretty good deep dive into the game and the uh, system. We'll have it linked in the show notes. It comes from BR Train. It's Brian Train. Brian Train. Yeah, what, a, what if it's Bobby Train? <laughs> no, okay. No, we've talked about, I've talked about several Brian Train games before. Um, Colonial Twilight comes to mind, so, several others. All right, has Brian Train ever made an 18xx game? I do not think so, which is kind of a loss on his part. you think he'd get started on that he could at least like fucking nail the marketing on that absolutely (laughs) nail it like look hey who else do you want to buy a train game from it's literally my name brian train by the brian train train game or the brian game by train game yeah anyway so it's it's just interesting i love it's been fascinating to me to find out uh, that these games existed and uh, I think we, we talked about one about a month or two ago about the Berkeley uh, Berkeley Riot or something like that there was a Riot Hex game you know that uh, it, it kind of an insurrection thing just that I mean granted a lot of these didn't get like big releases they could have been just a magazine game or stuff but it's just fascinating to me that these have existed because I can't imagine them coming out now but you know there it is. So, what is the next thing we have? All right. 
I swear we've missed something on here that I was going to bitch about because I've been wanting, <laughs> I've been waiting to bitch about it and it's not on here. Dadgummit, did I miss it? You talking about that fun again thing? No, no, no. I was going to bitch about uh, Columbia Games. It's got Rommel on Kickstarter. Oh yeah, I think I heard about that. Yeah, let me just toss what, it up. It's a Kickstarter thing you don't like? Well, it's I. Yeah. Okay, now it. Yeah. Okay, so. Why is Worthington different from Columbia? Because they're probably about the same size. Okay, that's that's a very good point, Richard. <laughs> and you know that's that's something you should call me out on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's I think of maybe I think of Columbia as bigger than they are. Maybe it's and it seems like they were bigger in the past. Because yeah, you think of them as like I mean they did like Hammer of the Scots and. A bunch of those like big famous block games, but I'm sure they're still putting stuff out. But I can't think of anything offhand what they're doing now. So they are. I mean, they're they're putting out. Yeah, I know they are. Um, I don't know. I, I originally saw it as a um, a Facebook uh, ad, I think, and I commented on it. I was like, "Why are you guys kickstarting this? You know, why? I mean, okay, my." I guess my original thing would be is like, why not just P500 it, you know, or, or whatever? Because looking at the actual Kickstarter for this, you're not getting anything. You're paying, you're literally paying seventy nine fucking dollars for this thing. <laughs> That's insane. Because it will be fifty at Miniature Market. I promise you. Or I mean, you can pay a hundred and get it. Up, oh, sorry, no. For a hundred dollars, you just get the neoprene war game mat. Period. Thirty-four by sixty-eight. That's all you get. If you want the game and the mat, it's a hundred and sixty dollars. Uh, I mean, I don't know. That's maybe I don't know about the price of neoprene, but and maybe the price of wood blocks has gotten really expensive. I know I've always been interested in this. You have game. a stretch goal where they someone puts the stickers on for you. No shit. Yeah, that's mm. another thing. you got to put it together. Uh, I've always been interested in this game. Um, and it's been on my want list for, like, ever. But just, I don't I don't get it. Why should I pay $79 for it? Why can you not just print this game? And then, because, I mean, that's the other thing. It's not only is it $79. It's $79, and you're probably, probably going to turn around and charge me $20, $30 in shipping. So say around a hundred bucks is what I'm gonna have to, you know, pay. It just seems expensive. Uh, I, I don't know. It's now the add-ons aren't that bad. You can get a copy of the Shores of Tripoli for sixty-six dollars, or Victory in Europe for eighty-nine. Oh yeah, they do their version of um, ASL as, com as combat infantry. Of course, I've never played it, but you know. Maybe it's good, but I don't know. I just I think of them as a, I, maybe I think of them as a bigger company than what they are. I think of Worthington as a small company because uh, Worthington's first instinct is to put that game in a Ziploc bag. Their very first stretch goal is a fucking <laughs> so that lets me know you're a small company. But you know it's I don't know. It's, I mean Columbia's been around a long time. They are the company for. Um, for blocks, maybe I'm being too hard on them, but it just it just seems that way. And honestly, my biggest criticism of companies like this doing on Kickstarter is is when you put your game out like this, that's money out of the park, 
out of the pocket of like Roy. Roy wants to put his game out, and he's really a small guy who has never put a game out, and Kickstarter is made for him, you know, to put his game out. And when people are this month going to dump money into this game that's going to be at miniature market even cheaper, it's that takes money out of Roy's game. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my... I just, even though Columbia is older and they have some really famous games, I would bet that in the last five years, Worthington has sold more games and made more money than Columbia. Hmm. I mean, I, I know we, we talk about uh, fucking, um, what's his name, uh, Steve Jackson. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I would put Columbia right next to Steve Jackson because they're an established company. And it, it just makes me a little mad because I, I go like, well, how did companies ever fucking print games before Stupid <laughs> Kickstarter came out? It's they had to go get a loan, or they had to be really smart about sales in the last year to turn around it, you know, just... But instead, it becomes this whole, well, I need a whole bunch of suckers to prepay for this game. Uh, I don't know. That's just me. So, anyway, so... Uh, I guess that's the end of the show, and I should probably spend some time editing that part out, maybe. I don't know. And... Uh, <laughs> There you go. And um, well. brought to you by our newest sponsor, Columbia, Steve Jackson, and Kickstarter. Oh, make no mistake, if they did, it'd just watch me sing a different tune. Like, <laughs> hey, I love, yeah. Have you guys heard about Kickstarter? Yeah, it's great. Check out my new tattoo. Yes. It's my, look at the Steve Jackson logo. It's the fucking um, uh, a pyramid. Look at that. Yeah. It's the Illuminati, fellas. Watch out. Whoa. Yeah, because I think they're currently running another Kickstarter for some shit that I would expect them to already be able to put out. But that's just me. I don't know. Uh, I didn't even cover it this time. So, yeah, I'm going to try to do start doing YouTube things I've, in uh, 2020. And that's I, I want to be able to talk about. and just in some, I, wanna, I don't want to just bitch. I want to do it f just to be funny, you know, to make people laugh, you know, kind of a thing. But we'll see how it goes. So, I guess, you know, yeah, uh, Mira Furlong died this week, and it made me really sad. If you're a Babylon 5 uh, oh. yeah, if you're a Babylon 5 oh. fan, oh. yeah, Delenn from Babylon 5 died, and also uh, Rousseau from Lost. She was uh, great in that, you know, she was a little French lady. Yeah. Larry King, Hank Aaron. Oh, yeah, she died the same day as Hank Aaron, and then um, I think Larry King died today. Yeah. Or yesterday? I don't know. Anyway. Yesterday, I yeah. think. He was like, what, 198? Something like that. <laughs> any, the any, TV adds 100 years. <laughs> any, any truth, they're going to lower him in the grave uh, with suspenders? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So. All right, so I guess I'm going to go over to uh, GMT and hit the P500 and order that 18-whatever game. And uh, yeah. 18 18.18xx.games, so we'll play something. It's 1846, the race to the Midwest, 1846 to eight to 1935, second printing. Damn, that's a long title. So, <laughs> so right. I, I want to point out that uh, in the course of our, our, our uh, recording here, Matt has taken his turn, so now it's uh, Adam's turn. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, okay, hold on. While we're live on the air, let me find it. What should I do, Roy? Oh, here I, I am. Let's see. Here, I gotta, I gotta get to the... Do you have any trading there. houses yet? I built uh, something. 
I don't know. I could build. I could build another thing. I, yeah, because I really don't. I mean, it's a beautiful. This is uh, Terra Mystica on Board Game Arena, and it, it's a gorgeous looking game. I imagine like the actual board and all that stuff is really nice. Um, I'm playing the dwarves. Roy is the nomads. So, what I think you ought to do mm-hmm. personally, yes, would be to in the middle of the board there, maybe you could terraform that red space into gray. And put a dwelling there, because okay. that would give you two points. It would it would buff me for sure because I'm next to you. Okay, it says. Or uh, trying to leech some power. Let's see if I'm trying to. It says you do not have enough workers. Maybe you need to do conversions first. What does that mean? So you're gonna fiddle around with your bowls there and and. Uh, fiddle around with my what? Your bowls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. This you is the point me. when I drop off and leave you two to yourselves. <laughs> what are okay? What are bowl? Okay, what are the bowls? So the power bowls of power are on your board there. One, two, and three. One, two, and three. So you can only spend power from the third bowl. So every time you, every time it says you gain power, you move from the lowest bowl up to the next lowest. Okay. All right. So I need to fiddle around with. Okay, move something. Okay, do conversions. All right, so I can do five and make a guy, or three and do one, or one in gold, or what am I doing? But you don't have anything in three right now. Okay, so I need to make a guy then? No? Uh, well, let's see here. <laughs> maybe the transforming that red space is not not the mm. best. All right, maybe I can't do that. What else should I All do? Right. Anything? Oh, can I attack? Good. No. There's no attacking in this game. If you have a priest, then you could you could upgrade your shovels too. That might help for next turn. That's the thing. You could take your trading house and change it into a temple, and the temple will give you a favor token. Okay, so the trading house is the big thing. Oh, sorry, that's a stronghold. So do uh, stronghold to temple. Yeah, let's do that. No, stronghold is already the top. Okay. Yeah, I can't upgrade my trading house because I don't have enough coins. Wah wah wah. Oh. So maybe I should pass. Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> See, I hate. I, I, look, I really feel like the asshole doing this. It's like because it's like, oh my gosh, this is way more complicated than I thought it would be. So I, I'm just like going through. It's like, eh, dear, dear, let me try. Click here, click there. Well, um, I would advise you off uh, off air, I guess. <laughs> All right. In the next episode of Chance of Gaming, I'm going to teach ASL to my dog. <laughs> Through ASL, yes, it could happen. <laughs> I'd listen to that. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Hey, we are in a brand new world. Uh, so be nice to each other and carry on, I guess. Good night. Good night.